Good morning. Kids, don't leave because there won't be anyone to greet you or receive you. So, and you might really like that option. So, <laughs> can we uh, just take a moment and sometimes just fun to torch you all? And I'll make you do something I don't particularly enjoy doing, especially if I'm new to a place. But can we just take a moment, maybe like 30 seconds, and anyone who goes past 30 seconds, I'm going to center you out and call all attention to you. But can we take a moment and just stand up and just welcome one or two people we don't know um, or haven't seen for a while and just say, hey, hey, glad you're here for kickoff. So 30 seconds, I started my watch. Welcome back to Canada. I'm back. Yes. I'm yes. out of that strange land. That's right, Dad. All right. I made newer, newer people to the church uncomfortable, but I hope they felt welcomed. And anyone who uh, has been here for more than 10 years and did not go shake someone new, new hand, I know who you are. And next week, you're going to be brought up here and flogged. It's going to be great. Yeah, that'll teach you. I'm going to give a very, very, um, I'm not going to teach anything new today. Today's just Reminder Sunday, and it's going to be a reminder of things you probably have heard, unless it's your first few weeks in a church ever, you probably have heard many, many times. So this morning won't go down as the most uh, memorable sermon, but it will go down as the most important sermon I've ever done here up to this point. And my guess is you'll, you may even forget what we talked about on this Sunday, so we're going to have to come back and review it a lot, because what we're talking about here is going to be very crucial in moving forward in the life of this church. And you might walk out here saying, well, I didn't learn anything new today, and even forget this, and that's why we'll just keep coming back to it and reminding ourselves about why we should be joy-filled and so we put it up in lights, in big letters for you, in case you're not aware of that. But how many of you are joy-filled this morning? Okay, we got some. That's good. That's, be that's a better response than usual. That's good. Well, I guess I don't even need to preach, so let's call it a day. And uh, by the way, following the service, we want to invite you to come uh, check out the ministry areas in the auditorium after the service, where you'll be signed up for the next three to five years of your life. No, but... Uh, you get to know what's going on. If you're looking to get connected with something, we really value, especially, especially for those of you who um, really want to be challenged, really, really want to grow. Our kids, children's and our youth ministries are always looking for small group leaders. 
And that's one of, I would say, one of the more difficult and uh, stressful, not stressful, but one of the more difficult and energy-giving ministries here. And I have great honor for anybody who does kids or youth ministry. All the other ones, you got it easy compared to those two. (laughs) So let's just be honest and call a spade a spade, all right? I want to pray. I want to pray right now for Florida. Let's pray for Texas. Uh, We had some, uh, even this week, we had some... um, uh, some friends of Richview, one friend of Richview killed this week at the Woodbine Racetrack. Um, and we just want to lift up their family at this time. But we also want to walk out of here knowing that even in the midst of struggle, which some of you might be going through, you can leave here today being joy-filled. Because there's a joy that God gives you that can handle any storm that comes your way. So let's pray. Uh, bless you, God. We thank you for a new day. We thank you for a fresh day. We thank you for this first week of school and for uh, kids in that transition back and for students getting back. We thank you for the opportunities we have in this country. God, we lift up uh, Florida. We lift up the keys to you right at this moment. We pray for safety and protection for everyone down there. God, protect the lives of your people and just help them at this time. For those that are isolated, those that are alone, Um, We know we live in a broken world, and we know that uh, because we've uh, allowed our relationship with you to be severed, because we've chosen other things, this world is cursed. And, 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 um, And I just pray for these families. I pray for the families in Texas. I pray for our our family and our friends um, this week who uh, lost a dad. Um, And we just uh, pray for your comfort as you're with them. We pray for uh, just all of those involved in that circle of friends and family that are uh, with them. Give them energy and strength. And God, God, a comfort. Um, just empower them and strengthen them at this time. And today, God, may we be reminded once again, may we be refreshed once again about what the church is all about and what we've been called to. And maybe just reminded about who you are perhaps in a fresh way, maybe for the first time, but open our ears, open our eyes, in your precious name. Amen. Now, I'm not sure what images come to mind when you think of church. Maybe it's this image. No, not that one, but it could be this one. It could have been that one too, but maybe it's this image, and you think of a building. But the church in the first century, the church that we're unpacked, the church that Jesus gave birth to, It's not a building. It's not a place that you come to to meet together. The church at its inception was a movement. It was a movement, and it was a movement based around the conviction that Jesus had died. He had died. He'd come to earth as God's son. He had died as the only savior for sinners, that he had risen from the dead, which proved that who he was, who he said he was, and he's the rightful Lord of earth and all the people everywhere, and we're now called 20 centuries later even to to return to him, to repent, and invite it to come home to him. And that should give us such great joy. Should it not? Yeah. But over the years, a terrible thing happened. After the first century, people began to think of churches as places that you would come for religious services. Can you believe that? (laughs) 
They began to think of churches as buildings, places that you would have to like wipe the scuzz off your eyes and get up at 10 in the morning and try and come to and hopefully stay awake for. And just so you know this, that kind of church is a terrible hobby to have. It's a terrible hobby to have. And churches became dry places. But then something happened. We could look at different outbreaks throughout history, but this year we actually celebrate the 500th anniversary of something called the Reformation. Did you know this? And in the Reformation, there were a group of people who, who raised up called the Reformers, and they reminded, and this is one outbreak, where they reminded us that the church is not supposed to be a movement. The church is not supposed to be a place you come to for services. Uh, sorry, I said that wrong. The church is supposed to be a movement. But the church is not supposed to be a place you come to just for services. And, and, and it's supposed to be an assembly that's built around a movement. And the danger of the church in every generation and in every age is to cease becoming of movement. And it's become a service to people. Or even worse, a place that people simply attend. A dry place. Because if you're a part of a movement, what do movements do? They move. No static, not declining. And so the leadership here has been asking a lot of questions. We've been asking questions. Are we static? Are we in decline? Are we not moving? Are we a dry place? And so how do you figure that out? And, and we, we discovered a good place to start is with God's Word and with Scripture. So I want to take you to a place. I'll have it come up on the screen here. And, and it's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. But just in case, let me give you a bit of context here. There's this guy named Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he comes to earth. He's the Son of God. He lived the perfect life. And the reason he came to earth is because humanity had severed their relationship with the ultimate creator, with God and through our own disobedience, we became lost. But God, through his mercy, he came to earth as Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect life. And he became the perfect substitute for our fallenness. And he absorbed the debt that you and I deserve. And he did that by allowing himself to be murdered. To be flogged, to be beaten, to be put on a cross. And for dying. And his blood became our covering for all our wrongdoings. And the better news even then is that God raised them from the dead. And just like an acorn, in order to become a tree, what must it do? It's got to die. In order to become a tree, an acorn first must die, and then outsprings new life. And Christ's death and Christ's resurrection means new life for all of us if we trust him as our substitute. A lot of us know this. And because of what Jesus has done, him being our substitute, his blood covering our sins, we can now have a relationship with the almighty creator of the universe. And so you have this resurrected Jesus. He's come back from the dead, and he's with his followers. And his followers are seeing him. And this is where we pick up in the story in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And so they asked him, Lord, 
Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, what is your next move? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So if anyone ever says to you, especially in these last couple of weeks, the end is coming, look at the signs, just take them to this verse. All right, you don't know. Jesus didn't know at this point. You don't know either. So he said to them, it's not for you to know the times, the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And just in case you don't know what a witness is, a witness was a term you used in court. I think most of us are familiar with that. But you te- what does a witness do? You testify about what you've seen. So that was their new job description. Jesus comes back from the dead. He appears to his followers and he says, I want you to be my witnesses. My witnesses. Tell people what has just happened in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in Etobicoke, in Mississauga, in the greater GTA area, and to the ends of the earth. So here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, as this passage tells us here, he's talking to his followers, you've been filled by God's Spirit. And you're to testify, you are to be a witness about what you've seen to the ends of the earth. And Christians, anyone who's been around a church for a while, they know this commandment, this commission as the great commission. Go to all the ends of the earth, make disciples, tell people. So if you know Jesus, if you've made Jesus your life leader, his spirit now rests on you, we can't go on with life as normal. Would you agree? Three of us, great, okay. Now, the sacrifice of Christ and the lostness of our world, it demands a different response. Because churches are supposed to be what, again? Movements. Not just places you come together and gather. My goal here this morning, it's not to guilt trip you. It's not to guilt trip you into anything. In fact, my goal this morning is to remind you why you must be joy-filled. Absolutely joy-filled about the church, joy-filled about what God's done in your life, and joy-filled about telling other people about what Jesus has done, just like we've been called to do. But why are we not, for the most part, when I encounter people, joy-filled? Maybe you don't have any joy this morning. Maybe even the idea of shaking hands this morning was like, man, I can't believe he's going to do that. I can't believe he's going to make us do that. Maybe you're a little bit dry this morning. Maybe you don't even know how to be joy-filled. So let me do a couple reminders here for it. Because every once in a while, we need to be reminded where joy comes from. So where does joy come from? What's happening tomorrow? The new iPhone is being released. (laughs) Joy comes from gifts and things, right? Kids. Why is Christmas so awesome? Because joy comes from stuff. Yes. No. But you see how easy it is. We get so easily distracted, don't we? What's he talking about? Christmas is the best time of the year. Yeah. Joy comes from presents. Joy comes from stuff. The newest iPhone. Yet within six months, the newest iPhone doesn't give us much joy. Why not? What about that new car? It brings joy, does it not? The new job. The new school. Husbands, wives. What about having that new spouse? Now we're on thin ice here, aren't we? 
And the correct answer is especially guys, take notes. Okay, write this down, okay? Relati uh, marriage relationships with a spouse, the key word there is become an archaeologist. Because the older your spouse gets, the more you will appreciate them. If you think like an archaeologist, you'll be fine. Boom, there's a zinger. <laughs> Two of you got it. The rest of you will be thinking about that on the way home. All right, what's he talking about? So we could sit here and we could argue this. We could argue about where joy comes from, but I can pretty much guarantee you on your deathbed, you're not going to be looking back on life. I haven't had anyone do it to me yet and start saying, you know, I sure wish I got that new iPhone back in 2017. <clears throat> I blew my chance. I sure wish I'd got that car. I sure wish. So where does that joy come from? If it doesn't come from stuff, what does it come from? You ever encountered a joy-filled person? I have. I've met a few of them in my life. And one thing I notice about joy-filled people is they're at peace with everybody. They, they, they're not angry with someone, even if they've been mistreated. They're not upset. Even when you meet people and you know you should be so ticked off about that. And they're not because they're like, well, I've just moved on. I've just forgiven them. I, I, and you're like, well, is anything churning on the inside? Don't you want to just get revenge, get back at them? Nope. You ever meet someone like that? They just got this unbelievable, unbelievable re uh, aura about them. They're not trying to get revenge. They're not trying to get a claim. They're not trying to force someone to do something for them. They just have this peace and this presence. And I don't know about you, I want to get me some of that joy. I want it. I want to bottle it. I want it in here. And I want it so that when anything comes my way, I can handle it. Now, we're a clever bunch here. I really mean that, okay? You are a clever, clever congregation. And we live in a really, really clever, clever community and a clever society and a clever city. But you know what we tend to do? We tend to settle for joy substitutes. We seek them out. We look for them. We have tried to find anything that allows us to substitute the joy that we read about in Scripture for other things. Sometimes we, we, we substitute things for people. Sometimes we, we, we substitute images for intimacy. Are we preaching now? Sometimes we, we substitute experience for exclusivity. And, and oftentimes we substitute the immediate for the ultimate. There's a story told in Genesis right at the beginning. It's told about two people who had this joy-filled relationship with the world around them and, and, and with the creator of the universe and with one another. And the creator of the universe says, hey, if we're going to maintain this joy-filled relationship, this shalom, this peace, there's just one thing you can't do. Don't take part. Don't go near that tree. Don't take any of that fruit. That's it. Don't do that, and you'll maintain, and we'll have this joy-filled relationship with each other, with our environment, with our world, and with the creator of the universe. And I think most of us know how the story went down. And they chose their way. They chose their joy on their terms instead of what the creator of the universe promised them, and they went and they took the fruit. And what happened to that joyful relationship 
rift open up. The scriptures tell us that a flaming sword separated them from that joy. They were cast out, thrown out. That joy, if you didn't get it from me earlier, that joy doesn't come from what? But it comes from who? It comes from who? You can get, you can get instant gratification from stuff. We all know this. But if you want everlasting, eternal joy that's resistant to whatever the world can throw at you. It comes from him and him alone. Now, what do religious people call a relationship when it becomes severed? We call it sin. You ever heard of that word? Maybe one or two of you. And here's, here's the thing about sin. No matter how broadly you define it, whether your background, I don't care if you're first time in church today or whatever, whatever you've been for a long time, Here's what sin, sin separates. This is what we need to know about sin. It separates, it separates, separates, and it separates you from others. It separates you from others, it separates you from God, and it separates you from yourself. And, and what tends to happen is, is um, when you look back on, on some of your relationships and there's been conflict, if you really think about it, when there's been conflict in a relationship you have, you can look back and go, well, somebody sinned. Somebody sinned, and it was them, correct? It's always them. But somebody said, well, maybe it was me. Well, actually, maybe it was both of us. Well, I don't know. No, maybe it was neither of us. But it's, no, it's really their fault. But it can't be both of our faults. And you kind of play this game in your head. But when you look back on a relationship that's not very good anymore, a relationship that's fallen apart, you can, you can examine it, you can... Right, but right at the beginning, when that relationship got severed, somehow sin entered, uh, sin entered into it. Somehow sin caused separation. And when you bring sin into a relationship, what happens to that relationship? It begins to erode. Maybe it begins, it's broken. It begins to lose its joy. And when it really comes to sin, when we talk about it from Scripture, sin also separates us from God. And this is one of the most misunderstood things in all of the Bible and all of Christianity. So let me just explain it really, really quick. And, and, and just one of the very primary things, that's one of the primary reasons that sin separates us from God is this. When you and I allow a relationship with someone around us to get broken because of sin, what does that do to our relationship with God? separates. Why is that? And you can think about it even in human terms. Here's Michael over here. If I went and I did something awful to one of Mike, Michael's kids, and then the following day I say, hey, Michael, how you doing? Are you and me good? I should hope Michael's response would be, nope. And see, God loves the person that you're in conflict with. So when you and when sin creeps into any relationship with anyone else, sin also creeps into your relationship with God. Because when you offended someone else, you've offended God who loves them and vice versa. Sin separates us from other people. Sin separates us from God. And sin can even separate us from ourselves. So we live in a neighborhood and we live in a city and we live in a country that settles for what? Counterfeit joy. 
Because when it comes to relationships that get broken, what's really hard work? To fix them, isn't it? It's really hard work to fix broken relationships. And we read time and again in Scripture. And I love the way that Jesus' brother James presents this here when it comes to counterfeit joy. Because we'll do anything we can to get counterfeit joy. Uh, uh, James writes this. Then after desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what does that mean? Basically, you and I, our society, our world, we settle for counterfeit joy. And when we find it, it's like a baby. And we want to cuddle it. And it's so cute. And we want to show everybody. And it makes us feel good. But what happens to babies most of the time? They grow up. And they're not as cute. And they smell even. They get worse, especially in those teenage years. And the problem is, that's how counterfeit joy and that's how sin operates. It grows and it grows and it mushrooms and it gets into my relationships. And it gets into me. And it wreaks havoc. And it breaks my heart and I hope it breaks your heart when you see a world around you that's settling for counterfeit joy and settling for things that will not bring them lasting joy. Jesus in case I didn't say very clearly yet today, Jesus is the only thing that brings lasting joy. And if you've said yes to them, you have it. And we've been called to share it and not keep it under a bushel, no. There's this writer by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He lived a couple hundred years ago, and he writes this. I think I wrote it on the screen. Yes. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep your good news to yourself you will be whispering it into your child's ear. You will be telling it to your husband. You will be earnestly imparting it to your friend. Without the charms of eloquence, you will be more than eloquent. Your heart will speak and your eyes will flash as you talk of his sweet, good love. What are churches supposed to do? They're supposed to be movements. Churches move. Acts tells us that the Spirit of God has come on us, if you're a Jesus follower, so that we will be his witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. What is that Holy Spirit upon you to do? To be his witnesses. Telling what? What Jesus accomplished. What Jesus did. That there's no other way to joy than that. In light of this, I just want to say a couple very important things. Not as important as what I just shared, but just as pretty close. First of all, here's how I see our church. There's something amiss here. Something that could be done. There's something that should be done. And there's something that must happen. We must be a movement. Would you agree? Yes. And since the church is a body, if you didn't know that, the church is a body. Christ died and birthed the church, this movement. And, a, and what happens with a body? A body does what? It, it grows, hopefully grows vertically and not, you know. But, but bodies grow, and if they're healthy and balanced, bodies grow big, right? So the church, if it's organic, if the church is a body, it must grow 
And in order for it to do that, it's got to be healthy and balanced. And the only way to do that is to live out God's purposes for it. And so going forward, our mission for our church, our mission for Richview is simply this. And I'm going to repeat this a lot in the upcoming days, weeks, months, years until it's burned. But if you can memorize this today, you're, you're, you're way ahead of the curve. But here's our simple mission going forward. And it's not that. But here it is. To joyfully lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Yeah. You can clap. Absolutely. Can you memorize that? I think you can do that. That's not too complicated, is it? Is that worth getting excited about to joyfully, not, not just to mediocrely lead people into a relationship with Jesus, but to joyfully lead people people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's the kind of place we want Richview to be. We want to be so clearly, sharply focused on this mission. There's a lot of other good missions out there. Apple has a great mission, and they're launching their new iPhone tomorrow. That's their mission. They can have it. But the church is supposed to be a what? A movement, not a place you just come to and sit. It's supposed to be a movement. And Christ died for this so that, and he gives us his marching orders and acts to joyfully lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And the reason we chose joy is how could you be anything but joyful over what he's done for you? He has repaired, restored your relationship with God so that you can spend eternity with him. And nothing in this world can, can separate you from that love if you trust Jesus. And is that not worth getting joyful about? No matter what this world throws at us, weather, pain, sorrow, uh, RRSPs uh, being deleted, whatever the world throws at you, as long as you have that joy that comes from Jesus, that everlasting, eternal joy, that can never, ever be taken away from you. We steward the only message that can change a human heart, a set of morals, a love pattern, and a destiny. And that's the only hope for Etobicoke. That's the only hope for this city, the good news of Jesus. We want to be joyfully leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Plain and simple. Bullseye, target, aim. That's it. We think there's four, and we're suggesting, and we're pointing to four priorities. And then I'm done that we believe will help us maintain that focus and keep it really sharp. I want to share these four priorities with you. And then we're going to require sacrifice on all our parts. First one's this. Heading into 2018, we want to make Sunday mornings into services that outsiders love to attend. Think on that one. Stew on that one. Pray about that one but we want to make Sunday mornings into services that outsiders love to attend. Services that you would be joyful about inviting your neighbors to. We want to get there. What does that look like? It's going to take a lot of prayer. It's going to take a lot of changes. But that's where we want to be come 2018. Because people need to hear what? About the joy. Not counterfeit joys but about the real and everlasting joy of Jesus. So that's going to require change from the status quo. 
That's what we're going to require. What on earth does a Sunday morning look like for outsiders? What's that going to mean? And for some of us, maybe church has always just been a place we attend. But church is supposed to be a what? A movement. Church is supposed to be a movement, always reforming. But just so you know, in case you're feeling really uncomfortable right now, the message will always stay the same here. The message will always be about Jesus. We just might have some different methods going forward. But the message, clear, plain, and simple, be there's only one way to reconcile and to come into right standing with God, and that's through what Jesus did for us. But the methods may require changing, and it's going to require all hands on deck. Second one. You'll like this one. The first one sounds kind of like, wow, I need a little more clarity there. But the second one's this. Who likes eating? Yes. No amens, but well, I'll take what I can get. I saw three hands. Great. We want to make hospitality common here. We want to make hospitality common here. We want to be the friendliest, friendliest, I can't even say the word. We want to be the friendliest joy-filled place on planet Earth. Plain and simple. And we just discovered food and eating with people is often the best way to share that joy. Would you agree? Yes. We want every person come 2018 who shows up here, whether they're a visitor or whether they've been here for 50 years, to know on Sunday's following services that they're going to lunch somewhere. And that might be lunch here. It might be they're hosting or they're going somewhere else. But we want to become the friendliest joy-filled place on earth, and we think that works really best with food. So come 2018, clear your lunch schedules after church because you're going to either be hosting or going, but just assume something's happening because we want to be those kind of people sharing that joy that Christ and only Christ can bring. By the way, you can start this week. You don't have to wait till 2018. And today after the service, come grab some food at the barbecue, and sit with someone you don't know. Maybe grab someone else and say, hey, next week I'm coming to your house for lunch, or vice versa. <laughs> do what you got to do. Thirdly, we want to see everyone here, and we talk about this a lot. This, is, some of this, this isn't new, I told you. At all ages, we want to see everyone here in community groups. We want to see you in relationships with others. If Sunday morning is your community group, and this is your only one-stop shopping for you, you are missing out. You are missing out on accountability. A lot of you are missing out on care. A lot of you are missing out on worship. A lot of you are missing out on growing spiritually because you need people to unpack and do life together with. And so moving into 2008, we want to see every one of you in community groups. After the service, if you're not in a community group, go to Jonathan, who will be outside of this table, and say, hey, Jonathan, how do I sign up? Or Jonathan... Help me find one that's at, at a certain time. Or Jonathan, I can't do it for this season, but come 2018. But, but just go and, and pick on him and let him know this needs to happen at this time, this place, or whatever, and we'll make it happen. And lastly, and here's a tough one, but we want to see everyone serving. We want to see everyone serving. Joy and selflessness are connected. Joy and selflessness are connected. You can never be joy-filled if it's all about you. You can never be joy-filled if it's all about you. 
joy-filled people are always giving their lives away. Always giving their lives away. And one of the best things you can do is pour yourself out. Now, does this all sound impossible? You're supposed to say yes. So let's try that again. Does this all sound impossible? Yes. But where are we? We're in a church. And what's a church? It's a movement that who birthed? Jesus. And through Christ, all things are possible. So these are the right kind of priorities, are they not? Can you practice one time with me? The mission again? Do you remember the mission? Oh, it's still on the screen. Can, can you go make that go black? You ready? To joyfully lead people. Yeah, I heard someone say iPad over there or iPhone. So let's try that again. Not quite there. To joyfully Yeah, these guys are, I'm second behind these guys, so there's like a wall here. So let's try this again. I'll I'll conduct here. To joyfully lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll work on it. And then the tattoos will start next week for those of you who don't remember. Can I pray? God, I know today it's just a reminder of what you've done. And most of us are walking out here and say, hey, this was grade one. I learned this in Sunday school. But how so often we get distracted, God, by the world, by stuff, by life, by busyness. When the real and the only thing that can bring lasting joy in this world and in these uncertain times is our relationship with you. And the relationship that's made possible through what you did, Jesus, on that cross 2,000 years ago. That's the only thing that is Teflon proof to this life, to this world, to this city. And God, for some of us, we've been hogging this message and this joy all to ourselves. We've allowed ourselves to get static, we've allowed ourselves to just become a dry place. And I pray going forward, God, you would give us an urgency about seeing every person outside these walls, um, in these walls and outside these walls, know, experience, and have that joy and that everlasting joy that can only come from you. Um, Give us a vision for even greater things that you and only you can accomplish, God. Help us to dream big. Help us to um, remain focused and help us not forget and remind ourselves every day and when we eat about what you've done, what you've accomplished. And may we become a more joy-filled congregation that is sold out with sharing and making sure everybody in this city, in this country, in this world knows who you are and what you've done and experiences that same joy that has made us and restored us and, 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 and brought together that relationship that only you and you alone um, provided on the cross for us. We bless you. We thank you for today. Um, God, um, give us more of you. Help us to dream big. Uh, give us greater and greater visions. And um, God, um, just do something great 